Thank you, Brian. <clears throat> Good morning, church. I see big smiles. Should we do a little exercise, get moving here? Yeah, so good to see you all, and I'm very excited and honored to be able to share from God's Word this morning and a profile and what I'm calling Lessons from the Life of Isaac. Now, as Brian said, we've been covering these four portraits of, of very important men in the Bible. Last week, Abraham this week, Isaac next week, Jacob, and then Joseph. But through these portraits, what we see is that it's really one portrait of God fulfilling his promises and his covenant with Abraham. So as we go through this, you will see that all the way through how this is really one portrait of God's work. Last week, Brian did a great job of showing that through Abraham's life, that since we are saved by grace through faith, then we should live by faith through grace. We saw that we, like Abraham, are saved not by good works, but we are saved by grace for good works. Now, this morning in the life of Isaac, we see additional important aspects of God's work in our lives. But first, I want to point out that in the passage that Brian just read in Genesis 26, we read that God makes his covenant with Isaac almost identical to the covenant that God made with his father, Abraham. This is confirmation that God would bless Abraham and his descendants, and that, these, that this specific line of Abraham's descendants would be the line from which the Messiah, Jesus, would come. So we see God continuing his covenant with Abraham and Isaac. Now, we don't have time to go through all the scriptures on Isaac's life this morning. I feel for Brian last week, he tried to take this huge chunk of Abraham's life. Um, I think there's 15 chapters or something, a lot of chapters. So we don't have as many, but nevertheless, it's so much that um, we're going to really focus on a few things and a few sections of Genesis that will illustrate several important truths about God's plan of salvation for us and about our salvation. So the first lesson or truth that we're going to look at in the life of Isaac is that God chooses us. Let me say that again. God chooses us. God choosing us is not of our doing, and no one can earn it. It is totally based on God's gracious mercy. Read with me in Genesis chapter 21, verses 1 through 3. Now the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. Now I want to point out, Moses wrote the entire book of Genesis, and I want to point out how sure Moses is to say the Lord visited Sarah. The Lord did to Sarah. It was God who spoke to Abraham. So this is all God's work in this. And notice that God chose Isaac before he was even conceived. He chose Isaac to come at an appointed time, and he chose 
for Isaac to be the fulfillment of his promise to Abraham and Sarah. Isaac had absolutely no impact on any of this. He was undeserving and yet incredibly blessed by God's grace to be chosen. As Christians, we are just like Isaac and are being born again and receiving life in the Spirit. We can never earn it. We are totally undeserving, and we are incredibly blessed to be chosen by God. Listen, Christian, you and I, as believers, were even chosen by God before we were even conceived. Our faith has a role to play in this, but even our faith is a gift from God. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and it is not of your own doing. It is, come on, everybody should know this really well, right? It is a gift from God, so that no one should boast. It is God working in us. Now let's continue in Genesis chapter 21, and we're going to read verses 8 through 14. And the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, by the way, that's Ishmael, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing or literally mocking. So she said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman and her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be, there, shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, Be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you, for through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar putting it on her shoulder along with the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. What I want you to see here is how God gave us a perfect picture of how we cannot be saved by our own works, but only through the promise of his grace. Paul in Galatians chapter four explains that God gives us this very story of Isaac and Ishmael and it's real events, but God uses this story as a picture or an allegory that makes it perfectly clear that the works of our flesh always and only lead to bondage and slavery. But the work of God's grace is to fulfill his promises, which leads to freedom. Galatians 4, through 23 says, For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. If you remember in the story, Ishmael was a result of Sarah and Abraham taking things into their own hands. They got the promise, Abraham got the promise from God that he would have an heir, that he would have a son. And after 10 years of waiting for God to fulfill his promise, of a son, Sarah gave Abraham her servant, Hagar, in order that Hagar would bear Abraham a son. So she was going to do for God what he hadn't done already for himself. <clears throat> Hagar and Abraham's son was Ishmael and came as a result of the works of Abraham's flesh. 
And of course, there were serious consequences to this, including Ishmael being rejected. At one point, Abraham asked God to consider Ishmael as the son of promise. But God said, no, the son of promise would come from the union of Abraham and Sarah. So another 15 years, a total of 25 years later, God fulfilled his promise by the miracle of Sarah bearing a son when she was way past the ability to bear a child in her flesh. So this allegory makes it clear that the ones that God chooses are a product of his miraculous work and not works of the flesh. In Galatians chapter 4, verse 28, it says, Now brothers... Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of the promise. And in verse 31, so brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Later in Romans, uh, or in Romans chapter 9, verses 6 through 8, it says, For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all who are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offsprings, as offspring. So brothers and sisters, it is easy for us to become casual about the fact that God chose us and that we are children of his promise. I know for me over the years, it's been easy for me to think somehow or I, I chose God, but it's important that we really understand that God chose us, and that we are children of his promise. So let's be careful to be mindful every day that we, are, we were lost. We were in bondage. We were separated from God, and we were to suffer the eternal consequences of our sins. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Death is what we earn because of our sin. The wages of our sin is eternal death and hell. That's the rightful penalty for our breaking God's moral law. But praise God, he gave the free gift of eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord to all who repent and believe. I want to pause for a minute and encourage you just to really consider how incredible that is, that God chose us, that Jesus came and paid the price so that we would not suffer eternally in bondage in hell, but that we are children of the promise and free. So I hope this short point renews our appreciation for the fact that God chose you. So. Now the question is, how should we respond to this? How should we respond to this incredible gift of salvation? Let's take a look at the example that we're given through Isaac in Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 through 13. It's a very familiar story, but a, a really great one. So read with me, starting in verse 1. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah 
and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took his hand and the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father, and he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them together. So let me set the scene here. This is many years after the events that we just read in chapter 21. Isaac would have been around three or four years old when he was weaned. So here in chapter 22, he is at least in his late teens and possibly older. He's certainly old enough to carry a load of wood up the mountain, which the scripture says here his father laid on him. So what God has asked Abraham to do seems to be out of place for what we know and what Abraham knew about God. But remember, Moses opened this chapter by saying that this was a test. As we know, it doesn't require that Abraham murder Isaac, but Abraham nor Isaac knew that as they obeyed, obeyed God's direction. The only way that Abraham could do this is if he assumes that death is not the end of God's plan and that God's promise would be fulfilled no matter what. In Hebrews chapter 11, we're told that Abraham reasoned that God could raise even from the dead. This is such a great act of faith that we see here. And as Brian pointed out last week, just progressively how Abraham's faith continued on and on. So Abraham's obedience and his faith, and his faith clearly is an example to his son Isaac as we see that Isaac willingly follows his father and also has faith that God would work through this event in a way that fulfilled his promise and purpose. Imagine how difficult this would have been for both of these men. This is quite a test. God asking Abraham to sacrifice his son and his son that was promised by God. But also think of what a test this was for Isaac to go along with this willingly. So none of us have been tested. I know all of us have been tested in our faith, but none of us has probably been tested to make this kind of a sacrifice. However, I think we are closer to this event than we may have considered. Because just as God gave Abraham Isaac by the way of a miraculous birth, and now asks for that miracle life to be sacrificed back to him. For every Christian, there was a day when we all sat dead in our sins and the Lord by his grace gave new birth to each of us. We were born again 
by the Spirit. We were made new in Christ, and that miraculous new birth came with many glorious promises, including great eternal promises. But the question is, are we willing to give that life back to God in the way that he has requested, which is similar to what God asked of Isaac? In Romans chapter 12, Paul says it exactly the way, this way when he describes our responsibility and faith to the one who has saved us. Read with me Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 4. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, on account of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Do you see the comparison to Isaac? Like Isaac, we've been given a new life by a promise, and it was supernatural, a miraculous birth that we could not have done in our own flesh, just like Sarah could not have done in her own flesh, and Abraham. And that now has led God to turn back to us as a test of our faith, to say to each of us, I want you to give me that life back now as a spiritual act of worship. The specific sacrifice that he requires is different in that Isaac was to give up his physical life. But we are asked to take the life that we now lead in the spirit and sacrifice it back to God. Not to be conformed to this world and the ways of this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. By studying, reading, memorizing, meditating, and obeying God's word, our lives become greater and greater testimonies of God's glory and grace. Now this takes sacrifice. Amen? It's not easy, but it is what God asks of us. And if we do this, I can assure you that he will supply everything that we need for what he asked of us, just as he does for Abraham and Isaac in this story. Now, in the, in the story that we're reading about, the question at this point is, will Abraham and Isaac obey? And that a question applies to us today. So what specific ways is God asking each of us to respond and offer our life to him sacrificially? For some of us, it is a call to be missionaries in a distant foreign land. I'm grateful to have some examples of that here. Um, and we have many who have served and are serving in that way. For others, it's taking the responsibility of leadership. For others, it's leading a life of prayer behind the scenes or acts of service like doing the church's bookkeeping. It's maybe giving financially, or through music, or hospitality. For others, it is a focus of being dedicated to a spouse and raising godly children, or raising godly children without a spouse. For some of us, it's many of these things. But whatever it is, you can be sure that our obedience will bring us reward. But more importantly, it will bring glory to God 
and the story that God wants to tell through our lives will be fulfilled to our blessing. I want you to see the incredible blessing God gave Abraham and Isaac as they told the story that God wanted to tell through them here. It's the message of the gospel at its core. What an amazing honor and blessing that they became a beautiful picture of Father God eventually sacrificing his own only son. Let's pick back up in verse 9. It says, when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. When Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son, but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his thorns, by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. We should have noticed that Isaac was willing to give up his life. He willingly let his father lay him on the altar and tie him up. Remember that Isaac was old enough to not go along with this. This is a great picture of Jesus, God's only son, who willingly gave up his life as a sacrifice for us. Abraham and Isaac's obedience were acts of worship. I think it's important to see that that this obedience that they displayed here was their act of worship. We often think of worship as just singing or um, being a part of a worship service where we come and hear teaching and learn. But if we just do that and then promptly disobey God throughout the week, that is not worship. God wants us to live lives of sacrificial obedience as our spiritual service. The obedience that Abraham and Isaac, or the obedience of Abraham and Isaac is especially remarkable because they did not rely on their own understanding. It's interesting in this story that from a human perspective, this didn't make any sense at all. Um, But it is easy to be obedient when we understand the big picture. It's a lot harder when you don't understand why you're being asked to do something. And I encourage you to take away from this how Abraham and Isaac obeyed God, even when it didn't make sense from a human perspective. So this is something that we should apply to our own lives, as God asks us sometimes to do things that we can't understand. The key then is to obey even when we don't understand. The next lesson in the life of Isaac is found in Genesis chapter 27, where we will see that nothing can stop God's plan. Even in the midst of sin, God's promises and plan will come to be. Would you read along with me in Genesis chapter 27? This is a long section, but it's a great story. So, Verses 1 through 36. 
Now when Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, my son, and he answered, here I am. He said, behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and prepare for me delicious food such as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to her son, his son Esau. And when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord, before I die. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats so that I may prepare from them delicious food for your father such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father and eat it to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be mocking him and bringing a curse upon myself and not a blessing. His mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go, bring them to me. So he went and took them and brought them to his mother, and his mother prepared delicious food, such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goats she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. And she put the delicious food and the bread, which she had prepared, into the hand of her son Jacob. <clears throat> so he went in to his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He answered, Because the Lord your God granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come here, near, that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, the voice, is, or the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. He said, are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. Then he said, bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him, and he ate, and he brought him wine, and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him, and Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, See the smell of my son, as is the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let peoples serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers, and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be everyone who blesses you. 
As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, then Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of, his, of Isaac, his father. Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game, that you may bless me. His father Isaac said to him, who are you? And he answered, I'm your son, your firstborn Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it all before you came, and I have blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even me also, O my father. But he said, your brother came deceitfully and has taken away your blessing. Esau said, is he not rightly named Jacob, for he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. What a family. <laughs> a little messiness going on here. So let's go back and take a closer look at these events. Do you see anything that we would call sin in this story? It's interesting, isn't it, how messy this whole thing becomes, and we see all kinds of things going on here, but what we tend to focus on, and not, not wrongly necessarily, but Rebecca and Jacob lying, cheating, deceiving, and more. This is clearly sinful behavior, and you could read this as if Isaac was a victim in a way, but I want us to see this morning how Isaac was actually also in sin, as, we'll, as we will see. So at the time of this story, Isaac was around 130 years old. He had, for the most part, lived a life following God in faith like his father Abraham, but like his father, he also failed at times. At the age of 130, some of Isaac's senses were either failing or diminished. He was blind, and his hearing was probably not very good, and his sense of smell and taste had diminished. However, Isaac was not dying. He says, before I die, but it's almost like he's saying, oh, I'm going to die soon. But he lived almost another 50 years. So he wasn't really close. He lived to be the age of 180. So Isaac was apparently moving to pass on his blessing to Esau much earlier in his life than was typical. In addition to being seemingly off on the timing here, Isaac is doing this privately just between him and Esau. Normally, this was a big event that at the very least would include the entire family. It was similar to the reading of a will today. It was a huge deal as it was also passing on the authority of the head of the family. And it was expected that everyone in the family would submit now to the one being blessed, just as they had to the father who was giving that blessing. So, Isaac appears to be setting this up to avoid any objections or possible interference. So why would he do that? Well, there's a backstory, right? 
there was a there was in this family rivalry from when these two boys were young. In Genesis chapter 25, verse 28, it says that Isaac loved Esau because of all things, because he ate of his game. But Rebekah loved Jacob. It's interesting that the Lord makes clear that distinction that Isaac loved Esau where Rebekah loved Jacob. And Isaac had chosen to favor Esau, and Rebekah had chosen to favor Jacob. However, God had chosen Jacob to be the favored son and not Esau. If you remember, Esau and Jacob were twins, and while Rebekah was still pregnant with them, they were fighting in her womb. So she inquired of the Lord and wanted to know what was going on. In Genesis 25, verse 23, the Lord answered her, and he said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided, and one shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. So Esau was born first, and so he was the older son. But God makes it clear that Esau would serve Jacob and not the other way around. And though the text doesn't say that Isaac was there when the Lord spoke to, Abra, uh, to Rebekah, he must have known about this. I'm sure Rebekah would have let him know this, right? Another thing that Isaac must have known about was Esau had sold his birthright to Jacob. If you remember this story, he sold it to him for a bowl of soup. In Genesis chapter 25, it tells how Esau came in from being in the field and he was hungry and he was exhausted. And Jacob was cooking stew. And Esau said, give me some of your stew. So Jacob responded that he could have some of the stew if he would sell him his birthright. And Esau said, okay, I will sell you my birthright. It goes on to say that because of this, Esau in effect was despising his own birthright. Now, I'm sure that Rebekah would have made this known to Isaac as well, and Jacob would have made claim to it when, when it came time to pass on the blessing and the birthright. He had a legal claim to it that Isaac would have been bound to. So Isaac knew that he was the very least going against what his wife wanted and what God's desires were that Jacob should receive his blessing. It's also important to see that Jacob, while not perfect, apparently was honoring his parents and living a relatively godly life. While Esau, on the other hand, was clearly a shallow, dishonorable fellow. He even brought trouble on his parents by marrying two Hittite women, which Isaac nor Rebekah would have approved of. And it says at the end of chapter 26 that those wives made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. In the New Testament book of Hebrews, the writer of that book tells us that Esau was godless. This is the son that Isaac wanted to give his blessing to. So this appears to be a serious failure of Isaac in not honoring what God wanted to do and in not leading his family well. In fact, he was trying to go against what the Lord wanted. But God's plan could not be thwarted. 
So a good question for us to ask in all this messy family stuff, send bad attitudes, wrong disobedience, et cetera, et cetera, was where is God at work in all of this? Is this the way that God intended Jacob to get the birthright and the blessing? Are they going against what God wanted? For example, is Rebecca's deception the way that God intended Jacob to receive his father's blessing? Or was the sale of the birthright the way that God wanted it to happen? Or were there other ways God intended to bring about Jacob getting that birthright? Did God prefer to do it another way? And these were just detours along the way that God is working through. Well, the answer to all those questions is yes. 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 Is the deception part of it? Yes. Is the birthright sale a part of it? Yes. Would God have preferred to do it in another way? Yes. But it is still all God. This whole episode is a story of God's sovereignty. No matter how messy and sinful it got, God's plan could not be thwarted. And this whole story began with God choosing Jacob and announcing his choice up front. Then God was working to ensure that Rebekah would be there to overhear Isaac's intention and to react to it. And of course, as the deception plays out, its success is by God's hand as well. Did God need this help? No. Would God have preferred to do it another way? Absolutely. But we see that God is working through the sinful choices of Isaac, Rebekah, Esau, and Jacob because God works with sinful men and women. Why? There's no other options. As he works through the men and women of this earth right now today, including us, his will cannot be stopped. God is powerful enough to ensure that even with all that sin that's at work, his plan is ultimately going to come to the right place according to his will and his purposes. Amen? Now, it's important to note that at the same time that he can bring all of that sin under proper chastisement, let me say that again. It's important to note at the same time that he can bring all of that sin under proper chastisement so that there are consequences for all of that sin. Remember, his ability to work through our sin, though, is never an excuse for our sin. We can't say that because God will make good in spite of our sin that it doesn't really matter. It does matter. There are consequences for our sin even when God works through it. There's hurt and pain and regret and hopefully that will lead to repentance. I know in my own life I've experienced that many times and once I get to that point of repentance, I usually look back and say how much better it would have been if I had not fought against what God was doing. In this story, God is working through Isaac's stubbornness, Rebekah's deception to bring about a good, 
or Rebecca's deception, but God brings about a good and necessary outcome. But we also have to note that God is going to discipline all four of these people because of their sin. Isaac will lose the fellowship of his two sons. Rebecca will never see her favored son again. Jacob will spend 21 years toiling and being cheated by his own uncle. And they all were in one way or another estranged from one another. But all that messy, destructive, consequential sin in no way thwarted the fulfillment of God's promises and plans. It's such an amazing thing to me just to see how God, there's nothing that's going to mess it up. Nothing. Nothing possibly could. It's too big for me. Now, the last thing in the story that I want to point out is that in spite of all the sinful behavior, Isaac, in the end, does honor God's choice. Genesis chapter 27, which we just read in verse 33, then Isaac trembled very violently and said, who was it then that hunted the game and brought it to me? And I ate it all before you came and I have blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. Isaac could have fought the outcome of this and even tried to take it back, but he didn't. He let it stand. The writer of the book of Hebrews tells us that this was because of Isaac's faith. So in the end, Isaac submitted himself to God's will and his plan. So may this story help us to appreciate all the more the incredible power of God to work even in the midst of sin and to be even more sure to listen and obey rather than sinfully fighting against God's will. While we will not do that perfectly this side of heaven, by God's spirit may we grow more and more into the likeness of Jesus who was perfectly obedient and without sin. Let's also dedicate ourselves to offering back to God our bodies as a living sacrifice as we are instructed in Romans 12. And finally, may we also be always mindful that as Christians we are chosen by God. It's nothing that we did. We are totally undeserving. But because of his wonderful grace and mercy and love, he chose us. If you are not a Christian, or you're st still thinking that somehow or other you could be good enough to be chosen by God, I encourage you to stop this morning and consider that you can never be good enough. Your sins have separated you from God, and because of your sins, you have earned the proper wages, which is death. And death eternally in hell but God in his mercy provided a way through the life of Jesus who lived a perfect sinless life and voluntarily gave his life to pay the price for our sin so that justice would be properly served and that we could be forgiven and set free from the penalty of our sin. And if you will simply acknowledge your sin, repent of it, and believe that Jesus paid that price for you, then I encourage you to tell God in your own heart. I also encourage you to come to me or Pastor Brian or Pastor Graham as we'd love to pray with you and encourage you. Let's pray. 
Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for how powerful it is in our lives. Um, Lord, even stories that were recorded thousands of years ago, Father, how much they apply to us today. Father, I thank thank you that um, you chose us as believers to be children of the promise. Thank you, Father, that your promises are always sure and true. Thank you, Lord, that we are descendants of Abraham, not by blood, Lord, but by the promise of his offspring. Father, help us to be more and more grateful today and every day that you chose us. How amazing, how blessed we are, how grateful we are, Lord, eternally. And Father, I pray that you would help us to respond as you have asked us to, Lord, with nothing less than laying down our very lives sacrificially, giving back to you, Lord, that you would receive glory. And Father, that that would be our spiritual act of worship and that it would bring glory to you, yes. And Lord, we thank you that even through that, we are so blessed. Father, speak to us. Help us, Lord, to seek you, to know what that looks like in each of our lives, the things that you are calling us to do. And Father, we just thank you that your promises cannot be foiled. Lord, there's nothing that could come against your promises. Lord, how incredible it is that you were able to work even through sinners such as us, even through us who are not only not perfect, Lord, but we are failing. Father, we ask that you would help us to more and more be obedient to what you've called us to do, um, and Lord, not hinder or what might appear to be hindering you, um, Lord, that we cannot do that. It's such silliness, Lord, that we even resist and interfere because it's not possible. We thank you, Lord, that in spite of that, Lord, you give grace. We ask for more grace today. Thank you, Father, for um, the fact that we can look to you knowing, Lord, that you have a plan that is amazing for the future for all of us. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.